of George Knapp listening to that UFO podcast and having one hell of a good time. Folks, at the start of this year, I got a bit of a health scare and it kick-started me to getting fitter, healthier and generally looking after myself better. A healthier breakfast was high on my priority list and it should be for you too. Magic Spoon is the perfect way to get in your morning protein, eating cereal that tastes like it did when you were a kid without all the bad stuff. I can promise you there is nothing unidentified in this cereal. The variety pack has four flavours including cocoa, fruity, frosted and peanut butter. This pack has 0 grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein and only 4 net grams of carbs. There are only 140 calories per serving. It's keto friendly, gluten free, grain free, soy free and low carb. It's delicious but super healthy cereal that really brings joy to your mornings, afternoons or actually any time of day. Go to magicspoon.com forward slash that UFO to grab a variety pack and try it today. Be sure to use our promo code that UFO at checkout to save $5 off your order. Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if for any reason you don't like it, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember to get your delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com forward slash that UFO and use that code that UFO to save $5 off. Thank you, Magic Spoon, for sponsoring this episode. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to That UFO Podcast. My name is Andy, and I have a returning guest who was last on the podcast at the beginning of 2022. We actually spent New Year's Eve recording at the end of 2021, so there was no New Year's Eve party for us, but it was a pleasure to speak to a gentleman who is a former UK intelligence officer and paratrooper, with more than 20 years producing strategic and operational advice to Fortune 500 companies, aerospace and government clients. He shares his interest in post-quantum military technology, UFOs, UAPs and geopolitics, and also international relations. He is also a member of SCU, an organisation of which we have spoken to several of its members on the podcast. I'd like to welcome back Frank Milburn. Frank, how are we? Mate, uh, Andy, thank you very much uh, for having me back. It's always good to speak to you. Always a pleasure to watch your tweets online as well. Um, very outspoken, which is uh, which is no mean feat on UFO Twitter, but people enjoy your responses, your insight, and that's what I've got you back on for. And uh, wonderful response from the listeners when I mentioned you were coming back on just a few days ago. I was barraged with listener questions, so I've tried to get as much of those into this as possible. But I want to ask you a few questions first, Frank, obviously. Um we are fast approach. Oh, very quickly, if folks want to hear Frank's background and some of that kind of stuff, go back to the interview from earlier this year. It was in January 2022, and you'll hear all that. We're not just skipping over it, but we've done that one before. Um, Frank, we are fast approaching the 31st of October deadline where we are expecting the next unclassified report on UAP from the Department of Defence in the United States. And I wonder, what are you expecting from this? Are we likely to get fed anything of note or is this again going to be one where the good stuff's kept behind closed doors and we're left fighting for scraps uh i'll be honest with you i like with the first one i don't expect anything uh that will prejudice uh uh you know sources methods platforms okay uh that's always going to be the case uh when you're talking public uh but i hope and i really hope uh, that because uh, you know Congress has uh, has got the, the the teeth between the bit effectively, and has uh, 
in in the the legislation from NDAA to uh, the um, the IAA, uh, Congress has been clamping down on uh, the intelligence community and also on uh, the DoD. So I'm very much hoping that we'll have a, a much more positive outcome. While these reports are scheduled every every three months or so, whether it's three months, six months, nine months, are we just going to keep getting sent out stop gaps and paperweights from a public point of view? Is there any rhyme or reason for these unclassified reports to even be published if there's never going to be anything of, of note in them? Or is there is there an opportunity there for something to come out that people can go, ah, that's interesting, or that takes the conversation forward? I think all the good stuff is still going to be kept under wraps, and it's going to be in closed hearings with, uh, with Congress. Uh, but I, I don't know, because I haven't seen the upcoming report, but I hope that uh, there will be you know nuggets that uh, that people can follow for you know process of uh, of like to- of like FOIA. Uh, we've recently heard from the U.S. Navy uh, U.S. Navy spokesperson that the release of further UFO v- videos would uh, quote unquote harm national security. Would it harm national security in your opinion? Uh, well, I actually spoke with uh, Chris Mellon in the last three days, and he said to me. Uh, I know uh, the person who um, uh, made that classification choice. I've heard the... So he's saying that basically uh, it's a a national security problem and that to release those videos would be to... uh, It would expose, uh, you know, know, uh, American platforms and capabilities. I've also heard another voice, uh, and I can't say who it is, but uh, he's told me that... uh, uh, basically, those Navy videos would expose something that is so indisputably non-human that it would be game-changing, and uh, that the U.S. Navy, the U.S. government, would never be able to put, uh, you know, the uh, you know the, the genie back in in the bottle, so to speak. So ultimately, is that the issue then that they still want this to go away? Because if they do have that that smoking gun uh, as you say and we hear about these various different videos and photographs that may or may not exist and they have something like you say that is undisputably non-human or it's you know it's not ours it's not russian it's not chinese i mean it's one of those look at this video and they can put it on oprah it's the oprah video if you want to call it that they can put it on fox cnn bbc news sky news and the general public would look at it and say that's not human if that exists, is it just a case of that's not going to come out because we do not want the public to know? Or is it still a case of there is a process to this and it could still come out eventually? What, what do you think? I think there's two things. I think there's one, uh, the US Navy and the US military in general. Uh, they have, uh, I mean, I'm certain that they have, uh, you know, um, you know um, imagery that shows beyond reasonable doubt that, uh, you know, these craft entering... American aerospace, uh, British, uh, you know, air defense region are not human. And I also think that uh, that it may be game changing for them that, uh, and that the U.S. government doesn't want to divulge that. Game changing in what sense for them? Well, game changing in terms of it's something that's indisputably not human. But at the same time, I'm saying, well, um, if you're going to hide these, uh, uh, you know, this imagery, then, and you're saying, and the US Navy is saying that it is, uh, you know, against the uh, national security in- interest of the United States, and that it could threat, it could threaten 
you know, platforms and, you know, sources, methods, then why can we not see, uh, you know, uh, radar data, uh, imagery and other sensor data from, you know, the 1960s or the 1970s and from satellites from uh, platforms that are now obsolete and that the enemy, you know, Russians or Chinese know are obsolete and that therefore uh, offers, uh, you know, no insight into American capabilities. Why can't we see those, uh, you know, that kind of data? Let me ask you this as a layman, and I'm sure there are people who listen to this with backgrounds in military and various pieces of equipment, and, and I hear from listeners like that, but most people listening are like myself and, and don't have any expertise in all these sorts of kind of different technologies that are used. Why can't one of these videos that is so clear be released, but with all that that other information scrubbed, surely you can you can blur it out. You could take it away and literally just show us we've got this picture or video of this particular object. Here it is. And to hell with the rest of it that gives away platforms, methods, locations and such. Or is that too, too blue sky thinking? Well, I think it goes back to if you look at the uh, preliminary assessment that came out in, um, in, in June of last year. Okay, you had the National Aviation Intelligence Manager uh, who contributed majorly to the, re- the report, right? And the ODNI said the, uh, you know, the National Intelligence Aviation Manager contributed this report. If you look at who the guy is, he's a two-star um, U.S. Air Force general. He's a career uh, U.S. Air Force intelligence officer, yeah? So uh, you have to ask yourself, why isn't the U.S. Air Force contributing, uh, you know, must, uh, you know, uh, sorry, I was saying must, because uh, I'm thinking Spanish, like mouse is more in Spanish. <laughs> Sorry, I, I speak Spanish. Um, why, uh, why isn't the U.S. Air Force contributing more in terms of, uh, you know, in, in terms of data? I think, I personally think it's a cover-up. And I think it's uh, an ongoing cover-up from uh, 1947. And um, the U.S. Navy has basically said, well, you know, uh, you know, sorry, excuse my language. It's like, you know, why the bleep uh, should we release uh, more videos if uh, if the U.S. Air Force, um, you know, in, in the preliminary, uh, preliminary assessment hasn't been contributing to, uh, you know, the, the, the work of the UAP task force? Would the Navy releasing better quality footage and clearer footage not force the Air Force's hand? Because surely once that would be in public domain, and even if they gave us something better, like the the we hear about the the gimbal video, and that apparently there are other objects on screen, or at one point it turns and then shoots off. If they show us that extra piece, and that if that de- indeed does exist, would that not make the Air Force and other organisations come in? Surely, because the public would get even more on board at that point. Yeah, but um, you have to think about it from um, you know a bureaucratic point of view. You know the the point of view of uh, you know Office of Naval Intelligence or the uh, the Air Force uh, Office of Special Investigations, right? It's not to make um, UAP data uh, available to the public. They're not about transparency. So very much, uh, you reckon it's still a case of even with someone like myself looking at the glass being half full, we're seeing forms of progress there's still those that want this to go away again. And there's still that opportunity that enough has been released that it could still go away. And organizations like the Air Force are just going to stay out it for as long as possible. 
in the hope that it, it does just disappear. Well, let's look at the uh, the recent uh, amendment to the um, uh, the Intelligence Authorization Act for 20, 2023, right? So mm-hmm. it's called the so-called uh, whistleblower amendment. It talks about, okay, if you have an NDA, uh, you cannot be, um, you know, you cannot be, um, you know, um, you know, uh, uh, reprieved for coming forward and, you know, offering your knowledge. But at the same time, yeah. it's like, well, I'm saying, the the terms of the new legislation say uh, if you are discriminated against for you know working against your NDAA, then uh, you know you can bring a private case. But then you know you're you're out of your pocket yourself until such time as the government and uh, you know the inspector general recognises that you have been discriminated against. But also, if you are a private contractor, then you know how would you prove in a court? If you come forward to, uh, you know, to Congress, um, how would you prove that you're not being discriminated against by, uh, you know, the uh, private contractor that you've been moved to Alaska or that you've been, uh, you know, uh, overlooked for promotion? And I'd say the third part, uh, most important in my view, and you know, Andy, I've done a lot of, uh, I've done a lot of, uh, you know, research on, uh, you know, directed energy weapons and, uh, you know, malign hostile activity against. Uh, you know, scientists working in the UAP field. It's, uh, you know, if you are party uh, to uh, something that is malign, if you know that somebody's been murdered uh, in, in, in furtherance of the cover-up, if you know that, uh, you know, uh, some aerospace company has gained advantage because uh, the American government has given them uh, crash retrieval technology, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, would you come forward uh, when you know that other scientists have been subject to directed energy weapons, uh, to harassment, uh, to poisonings, and also to murder? Yeah, I think that there is that aspect of it that people see, especially on social media. Well, they're, they're going to be there's going to be immunity. There's going to be immunity language, so people can just come forward now forgetting at the end of the day there's a human being on the end of that that has to then make a decision that may have a family they may have a career and it's not as if they're going to come come forward say what they know and then go back to -to day-to-day life for their day-to-day job everything changes for them and I suppose it stands to reason that it still puts a lot of people at risk and again whether people like him or not if you look at what Luis Elizondo has done coming forward sharing what he has and doing what he's done, it's not all been a walk in the park for him. If you look at the abuse he's received, his family's received, the the targeted attacks as well, that's only probably going to be even worse or amplified when that's taken onto a national and international stage, coming forward and testifying in Congress. So it's it's not just as easy as it as as coming forward and yep, do you know what I worked on the crash retrieval program? Here's what I know, and then cool, am I done? Back to the day job. My research is that um, my research is that people who have been involved in um, anti-gravity research, anything to do with um, uh, UAP propulsion, uh, you know, at least one of them has been murdered. Somebody that I know personally, okay, and this has been passed to uh, the highest levels of the, of the American government. Uh, I've had it acknowledged that um, that person was murdered even though they won't acknowledge it publicly, okay? And again, that's 
that sort of stuff, no doubt, is at least known in those communities that 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 happens and that goes on. So again, that's a huge block to people still choosing to come forward on this subject. I would ask Frank, someone with your expertise and knowledge of of this, is there a way that you can see to get people to come forward and to get them to discuss this subject in a safe environment without putting themselves at those sorts of risks? Yeah, well, very basically, you'd have to offer those people uh, the kind of protection that... um... Um, the equivalent uh, scenario would be, um, uh, you know, the uh, you know the uh, the equivalent scenario would be uh, taking people into witness protection. Okay, mm-hmm. that would be the equivalent scenario. But again, uh, you're asking people then to give up their life, uh, to give up uh, everything they've known, and to go into witness protection to have a, a have a new life. So I don't see that as viable. And I also believe that the malign actors who are behind uh, the murders of, uh, of UAP scientists uh, from 1947 onwards to the people that I know, uh, these kind of people, uh, they have a far reach. So, you know, being protected by US Marshals isn't going to protect you. Now, a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. Day to day, Life comes at you fast, and like anyone, I can get stuck focusing on problems rather than looking for solutions, whether that's in my professional 9-to-5, on the podcast, or even just as a parent. It can be tough to train your brain to think differently, but it is possible. There is no better time to start making a change than today, and when you finally learn to find your own solutions, there is no better feeling. A therapist can help you become a better problem solver, making it easier to accomplish those goals you've been struggling to. For many, using BetterHelp has allowed them to unload stress, heal emotional scars, or even help with anxiety and depression. For me, the flexibility of being able to access online help through messaging on the app or even voice or video calls is a win, not to mention it's convenient and affordable. All you need to do is fill in a very brief survey and BetterHelp will match you with a therapist that suits your needs. You can of course swap your therapist at any time. When you want to be a better problem solver, therapy can get you there. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash that UFO today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com forward slash that UFO. Understandable. I want to ask one of the gentlemen who is now tasked with heading up the AARO, the All Domain Anomaly Resolution Office, or ARO, um, is Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick. And I wonder how much do you know about Dr. Kirkpatrick or Sean? And have you heard anything as to how he is progressing within that role? No, um, what I've read about him, what I've seen about him, he's an ultimate professional. Uh, I would see him in the same vein as... uh, uh, you know, um, Dr. Taylor and Dr. Gary Nolan. Okay, I don't know the guy personally, uh, but uh, he seems to be, you know, ultimately professional and ultimately suitable for the job. And he's someone who's come in with, without that seemingly UFO bias or UFO knowledge, UAP knowledge. Do you think that's the best way to go to have someone at the head of that sort of organization who is completely neutral, we hope? and is just looking at the facts and looking at the data? Uh, yeah, I do. But I also still think that uh, DOD and IC uh, will drag, um, you know, they will always try to drag and obfuscate and uh, evade uh, 
what they are legally bound to, uh, you know, uh, report to Congress. And I go back to, uh, you know, my uh, directed energy weapons, uh, you know, investigations um, until such time as Congress investigates uh, the attacks upon uh, American scientists on U.S. soil who are engaged in, uh, you know, um, free energy research and uh, UAP propulsion, uh, then uh, democracy will not exist. And that's not something we've necessarily talked about in our, our last interview or this one, those sorts of attacks. But for listeners who might not be familiar, Frank, can you fill us in on some of the background or details on that? Uh, well, yeah, without going into, well, I have uh, validated, vetted um, information that at least one scientist who is working on uh, uh, UAP propulsion and free energy was murdered. I'm still trying to figure out whether that was by uh, China, Russia, or by uh, you know, an agent of uh, an American aerospace and defense company because they didn't want that person uh, to reinvent the wheel. Uh, that's all I can say about it at the moment. And by directed energy weapons, are we talking something similar to a Havana syndrome type disorder? or Exactly like a Havana syndrome. Yeah. Uh, it's very easy to have a vehicle-mounted weapon. Um, I have heard reports from uh, people that I know, apart from uh, my friend who was murdered, um, you have your face uh, in a window, uh, somebody outside is in a 4 by 4 they have a mobile directed energy weapon uh, and uh, basically they fry your face. Which is terrifying technology and actually I'm going to expand on it a little bit as one of the listener questions asks about that later on, Frank. I want to ask, um, has anything changed for you, Frank, since we last spoke in terms of your thinking or understanding in the UFO subject. That's that's a nine-month time frame from, you know, late December to now, as we record this, it's middle of September 2022. Is there anything that's come up within that time that's made you expand your thinking or change your line of thinking in terms of UFOs? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've, be, I've become a, an experience uh, uh, de nuevo. Sorry, that's in Spanish. I've become a... Um, I'm trying to think how, how to say it in English. I've become a an experiencer for the, for, uh, again. And um, there's no doubt in my mind that um, even I was talking with uh, Colonel John Alexander, mm -hmm. who is the godfather of everything spooky and weird at the Pentagon. And uh, he is has been a mentor to me, a total mentor to me in every sense of the word. And um, in 2020, uh, I experienced... Uh, what you would call um, the predator from Skinwalker. And was that this year, sorry, or did you say 2020? That was 2020, and then I had poltergeist activity in my house. Uh, I still have poltergeist activity in my house, uh, but I've kind of fucked off most of it because, uh, you know, basically uh, most of them don't want to fuck with a British Army paratrooper. And do you care to elaborate any more on your experience this, from this year, your refreshed experience? Uh, yeah, basically, uh, my experience was, uh, you know, um, like a predator being, and um, it was in my house, and I basically told it, go fuck yourself, 
and it fucked off because uh, it doesn't like British Army Airborne. And was that a physical entity, non-physical? A physical entity. But um, I get. Look, no, go on. It's like it's like people in general. It's like humans. Anybody in general, they don't like British Army paratroopers because we're we're moody, we're aggressive, and uh, you know we get our own way, right? So uh, nobody likes to fuck with us. So that uh, d- very direct approach helped you in that situation, anyway. Well, absolutely. It's like uh, my attitude was: yeah, you're an entity. You're not airborne. Uh, you don't have a Marine Beret. Uh, you never served in combat. You don't have the parachute wings of uh, you know the elite British Army parachute regiment. Therefore, you know, go fuck yourself. I want to ask you, Frank, before we get to listener questions, if you were to head up a similar UAP task force type organization in the UK, and just for listeners who weren't aware and who may not have heard Frank speak previously, he lives he lives off at the UK. He's in he's in Spain. Um, if you were to head up an organization like the UAP task force in the UK, what would your first steps be? Uh, who would your first go-tos be and how would you go about it? Well, the first people that I'd recruit would be um, uh, like people like, um, you know, British people, but like uh, Lou Elizondo and Chris Mellon. And uh, I would also uh, force, if I were in charge and I had like, you know, unlimited, uh, you know, um, unlimited, uh, you know, uh, you know, recourses, I would force uh, the Royal Air Force to uh, divulge all those, all those instances where UAP uh, entered the UK air defense region and all those instances where, that I know about, where, uh, you know, uh, uh, UK aircraft, uh, fighter intercept aircraft intercepted UAP and also, uh, you know, used um, uh, weapons against them. And we discussed this back in December, and it's something we've talked about often on the podcast, that the UK is just far better at keeping this subject at bay in terms of it escaping into political conversation or even the general public just due to a bit of an apathy from the British mainstream to discuss it. Do you see any change in that again from the last nine months? Or has there just been too many other topics of conversation, such as, you know, Brexit, the kind of... This, this disarray in UK political scene, um, obviously the tail end of COVID and then the war in Ukraine coming up, that the UFO conversation is just not getting anywhere near the coverage that it will or should. I know from my service that uh, British military intelligence and RAF intelligence uh, know about uh, uh, interceptions of UAP in the UK air defence airspace. But I don't uh, anticipate any of that coming out anytime soon. And what happens in general with those reports? We hear obviously now we're so familiar with people like Commander Fravor, you know, with Alex Dietrich, Ryan Graves and these other military personnel who have come forward and shared their stories. I imagine there are many similar names, but from a UK point of view, who just haven't come forward. Is there still that stigma here in the UK that they just don't want to do that? Or are there other reasons for that silence? Well, I'll tell you something, Andy. Um, I know a bloke who was uh, what you would call increment 
you know what the increment is? No. The increment is uh, it's a platoon of special forces that is permanently uh, assigned to uh, the Foreign Office. Okay, it's like a mm. JSOC in the United States. They carry out on behalf of the British government uh, the most uh, difficult, uh, the most difficult uh, problems that the UK faces in terms of uh, assassination of. Uh, you know, nuclear scientists, uh, elimination of terrorists, okay? And this is all off the books. Uh, also, as well, I know for a fact that that unit had a crash retrieval, um, you know, capability. And I was told uh, by the head of that unit that the UK has retrieved at least one craft and also bodies. And with any inclination as to what happens there thereafter, is that something that we very much would then give our US counterparts kind of carte blanche to take over? Or is that something you think we, we deal with ourselves? I would imagine, uh, based on my own experience, where we had uh, Americans, you know, I worked with special forces at every level. There were uh, American special forces. Uh, I would imagine that uh, the Brits would have shared that with the Americans who very much seem to lead the way in this. And I imagine our Five Eyes counterparts have the same sorts of agreements that it's well, handed over to the Well, the US. Americans lead stuff. I mean, if you look at, uh, you know, American Delta Force, American Delta Force is a copy of the SAS, right? The American Delta in terms Force of the is US... a direct copy of SAS. Uh, if you look at uh, yeah. Navy SEALs, it's a direct copy of, uh, you know, the Special Boat Service. Uh, you know, the British military has always been uh, revolutionary in terms of, like, Special Forces. And the Americans and other governments have always copied what we do. No, of course. I mean, in terms of the UFO subject, though, that they very much seem to have the the lead or, or the control, at least, of materials, crash programs, the data, the research. And uh, it they seems do. From the but in terms of that crash retrieval, uh, I would not see, personally, the British sharing that with the Americans unless they had some very good reason to do so and uh, you know, some very good pay payback. Brits are not stupid. And do you think we would also use private contractors in that sense as well? Or is that something you would expect to be kept in-house? My experience of British military intelligence, everything to do with UFOs, was uh, kept within British military intelligence. Interesting. Listen, there's a lot of listener questions here. Some of these touch on some of the areas we've already got to, Frank. So I'm going to get to some of these and they jump all over, but I think listeners are going to like this and it gives you a chance to stretch your wings a little bit here. Um, quick shout out to Ronak who sent in a question asking about Arrow and that was covered in the, the answer before. So thanks for that. And thank you, Ronak. Um, Peter wants to know, is there any chance that NATO is able to release any reports or, or data of UAP encounters? Is it something NATO would even be concerned about, as far as you know? Uh, well, um, I live in Spain. And if you look, for example, at uh, you know the Spanish military intelligence files, uh, the Spanish military intelligence files for the Air Force, they have already emitted a lot of data for, um, for UAP. And in general, is that something you think then NATO brush aside in terms of the larger conversation? Is that left to individual countries to handle and talk about? Yeah, I think it is. But I think, um, you know, I speak Spanish, so it's easier for me to look 
to look through Spanish airborne files. Uh, Spanish Air Force, uh, sorry, not airborne, Spanish Air Force files. So I'm talking airborne because I was airborne, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's easy to look through Spanish Air, Air Force files because I speak Spanish. Um, but uh, they're pretty comprehensive. And there's there's no doubt in my mind that the Spanish, uh, the Spanish, uh, it's called the uh, uh, Sección de Inteligencia del Mando Aéreo. It's like the intelligence section of uh, the Spanish general staff of the Air Force. There was no doubt in their minds that UAP exists. Uh, one of my favourite uh, listeners' names coming up next, and a very hard one to say, Slarty Bartfast, uh, has asked that since UAP were detected over Ukraine, uh, what are your thoughts on UAP over war zones? Now, and I've got a, a follow-up on that. You know, how common are UFO sightings in active war zones? And is it hard to track true anomalous sightings given the technology that must be deployed during a conflict? Um, they're very common over war zones. Uh, but I would say, uh, you know, glory to Ukraine for everything they've done uh, fighting the Russians. Uh, as a former professional uh, army paratrooper, um, I have nothing but admiration for uh, the Ukrainians. And uh, they're actually proved themselves to be exceptionally resilient and exceptionally professional. I wouldn't disagree. But on the UFO side of things, thinking of Ukraine as an example, given it's the most the most obvious one at the moment, of course, and it's, it's a horrible situation and hopefully that's resolved as soon as possible. There must be all kinds of technology being deployed over the, the skies of Ukraine from US, China, Russia and others. Is it then difficult if you are on any of those sides tracking what's in the skies to pick up what might be something more NHI, non-human, as opposed to what might be some very advanced Chinese, American or, or Russian drone? Well, there won't be anything from China because uh, China doesn't have the reach. But um, you know, uh, British uh, and American, uh, you know, um, you know, electronic war- warfare aircraft and AWACS uh, have been flying around. Uh, you know, Ukraine, okay, so they will have provided uh, a very advanced, uh, you know, radar, sensor, and electronic uh, picture to uh, the Ukrainian armed forces so that they can, uh, you know, quite rightly uh, target uh, their Russian oppressors, okay? Uh, I don't know about uh, any, uh, you know, UAP, um, any UAP incidents, but I would not be surprised uh, based upon you know the uh, the historic historical record, and do you think that sort of active war zone, active area of conflict, would be prime a prime candidate for UAP data collection? Yeah, it would be in terms of uh, it would be for intelligences. If you want to understand how humans go to war, uh, it's also a, a very attractive. Uh, arena for, you know, ex-military blokes, ex-para blokes like me, uh, you know, who want to go to war. Uh, I've got a question on something you mentioned before. From This is from Chris Walford. Uh, thanks and hello to Chris. What is Frank's thoughts on private contractors being given the run of crash retrieval programs? Is it something that makes the most sense to you? It doesn't make the most sense to me, but... Um... It makes sense in terms of, uh, you know, hiding the program. And I've got no doubt that there are uh, hidden programs within uh, 
you know, uh, various departments of the U.S. government of, uh, you know, the Department of Energy and also aerospace companies. But uh, I come down this again, right? It's like if you are an aerospace and defense company and if you had the capability to offer the United States a five observable, uh, observable platform, that would be the sale of the century, right? Yeah. So why haven't we seen these platforms? What would the answer to that be, do you think? The answer to that would be was uh, because the American government doesn't have five observable platforms or they have a five observable platform, but they don't understand it yet. And it's one thing um, having a, a, a five observable platform. It's another thing understanding how to fix it how to fly it, and nothing, how to, uh, uh, you know, copy it so that you can make it into, uh, you know, a, a deployable platform. And do you think that's where we hear that the the technology has been retrieved? They've got it, but we're just so far behind in actively managing to reverse engineer it that we may understand parts of it. There may be basic understanding, but the way I kind of think of it is if you've seen Independence Day, the movie, where they've got the craft at Area 51, but they, they don't know really how to use it yet, and it only switches on when the, when the aliens come back to invade. But until then, they were very much at a loss of what this craft, how, how its true function and how it worked. Okay, well, look, let, let, let's look at two examples, right? In uh, 1981, the US Air Force identified uh, a requirement for a beyond-next-generation craft that would uh, replace F-16 and F-15, right? So it wasn't until 2005, that's like a quarter of a century later, that the F-22 was deployed in numbers, right? So people talking about Culvine, the Culvine UFO, that was 1990. So that would mean that um, if that were a, you know, uh, a technological breakthrough by the Brits and the Americans, the Brits or the Americans would have had to have had made that breakthrough in the late 1960s. I just don't buy that. So you reckon those timescales of that 25 to 30 years, it's just too long to see that technology come through and you would have seen it sooner than later, you think? Well, of course you would. It's been a tough few years for many of us, juggling a lot that life has thrown our way. As someone with a young family, finances have never been more important, especially with the soaring cost of living day to day. That's where credit.com can help. There is a way you can begin to take back some control of your financial situation. Extra Credit is a product from credit.com that gives you unmatched credit coverage. You might have checked your credit score on a free app then when trying to make a purchase on credit, like a car, found it wasn't quite what you expected. Extra Credit from Credit.com gives you access to all 28 FICO scores to see exactly what lenders will see. Extra Credit not only gives you access to those 28 FICO scores, but also helps guard your identity with $1 million ID insurance, dark web scans, and data breach alerts. Plus, you can get cash rewards for selecting personalised offers. As someone who, as a student, racked up a lot of debt, I can relate to having to rebuild my credit score as an adult. There's no better time to do this than 
than now. The past can't be changed, but you can begin to rebuild your future today. To sign up for extra credit, go to credit.com forward slash that UFO and get started there. To sweeten the deal, you can even get the first seven days absolutely free. It's just $24.99 plus tax a month after the free trial. You can cancel any time. So go check out extra credit today and start working on your credit goals. That is also one of the arguments, isn't it? That if the if the US government is in possession of those, those tic-tac technology, why wouldn't you see it? And one of the arguments I had seen was if, if Russia, China, the United States managed to get just one of those tic-tacs, the others, that would be the game over for them, wouldn't it? Because within minutes, you could put a nuclear bomb over any of those cities that they chose to and there could be nothing done to stop it. And, well, and that's a rubbish. really good argument for not having that. Look at the rubbish in, uh, you know, the the, the the Russian rubbish in, uh, you know, in the war for Ukraine, right? They clearly never established uh, air supremacy, right? Mm-hmm. If the Chinese had this technology, they they would already be in Taiwan. So they don't have it. I am skeptical as to the Americans have it because um, America, since 1989 has been uh, under must, uh, you know, more pressure than at any time in its history. Okay? The, uh, you know, the American-dominated world order has been threatened. Now would be the time to deploy these craft if the Americans had them. It's probably a good thing that none of these nations do have these, if that is the case, just given the way things are going. But in terms of the technology... It's a fascinating discussion and subject, but I'm going to move on to, to Mads. Mads had a question, and it goes back to that October report, uh, but picks at it a little bit more. Do you think we'll see any progress in the upcoming report in terms of the language, seeing proposals of ET hypothesis being pushed or multidimensional hypothesis? If we're talking in terms of uh, open source, uh, you know, um, like hearings from... Uh... You know, Congress, uh, no, I don't. Uh, we will be stonewalled and, uh, you know, we will be suffocated. Next question from Justin, and there's two. Um, the first one slightly, again, touches on what you talked about before with directed energy weapons and may have been something we actually touched upon in our first interview. Um, but the question is, why aren't mobile phones safe and how can they be weaponized in a directed energy way? Uh, mobile phones can be weaponized because um, uh, a malign actor can uh, initiate a frequency uh, that can affect you. And uh, also, of course, you know that uh, you know, from uh, even if you disable the GPS on your phone, uh, that uh, you know, anywhere that you move, anywhere that you go, uh, you can be uh, you know, localized uh, you know, effectively by... Um, uh, um, Telephone towers. And the follow-up on that one, and I think that, again, is something we talked about in a little bit more detail back on the December interview, so people should check that one out. Um, an aspect of your PDF report that Chris Mellon tweeted out a little while ago involved UAPs trying to disguise themselves as normal planes but not fully succeeding. Is that something you can comment on further? Uh, yeah. Uh, if you look at... Um in the Hudson Valley in the, the United States, northern 
northeastern United States. Uh, there are reports of uh, uh, UAP uh, that uh, mechanically uh, change uh, their appearance. But uh, according to Jack Sarfati, uh, they emit uh, reverse Doppler effects and they are not able to mimic uh, effectively uh, you know, uh, conventional uh, earth craft, either uh, propeller-driven or, or jet-driven. Why do you think one of those craft would want to mimic one of ours? Is it just to be hidden in plain sight? Well, exactly what what I would want to do if uh, you know I was still a military intelligence. I would want to uh, you know mimic uh, you know the movements of an enemy and uh, you know cover my movements. And have you seen or heard of direct evidence of this happening uh, even more recently? Uh, no, I haven't. But uh, I have to say, uh, if that came from some kind of, uh, you know, other intelligence, uh, that is what I have anticipated. And that is exactly what I would do. Fair enough. For anyone, have you seen the movie Nope that's just been in the cinema? Uh, no, I haven't. No, there's some interesting ideas in that, and it's been quite a divisive movie in the UFO community, but I think it's worth watching just for how it's approached, and I think it's got to be appreciated, but in that movie, the UFOs use cloud cover, and they, they go between, and I know that's something that many have spoken about. Is that something that also comes up in terms of hiding themselves, stealth, that they can either generate or use clouds as a way to mask themselves or hide themselves? Well, sometimes they want to be seen, sometimes they don't want to be seen. Uh, but all I can say is, uh, you know, if they want to come down to earth in, uh, you know, in physical form, then um, they probably want to watch out because, uh, you know, there are some pretty tasty blokes on earth. Uh, question from Monty. He wants to know whether you are aware of any UK contractors potentially involved in back engineering or working on UAP tech. And, and they quote BAE systems, for example. Uh, yeah, I do, and um, I've been recruited by one of them, and I can't say anything more than that. But that's something you're involved with currently, yeah? Correct. I won't push you further on that one just yet then, Frank. Um, not that you would tell me anyway. And uh, on that, Monty wants to know, and this one came in from many, many people, and it was something we talked about last year, and for quite a while was the, the flavour of the month and the topic of conversation on the UFO community socials, was any update on potential cataclysms that had been discussed? I have no more information on that, but uh, you know, if you use your brain, open your mind, uh, you only have to look at what's going on in uh, you know, Ukraine, uh, you know, the Russians are being pushed back. Uh, Putin is feeling, uh, you know, very basically, you know, fucked in the ass. So, uh, you know, he could conceivably think about using attack nuke. And also, if you look at, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, um, the Taiwan. So I think it's a very, very dangerous time uh, that could possibly contribute to a cataclysm. Uh, a couple of questions from our friend Dave Smethurst. Dave, thanks for sending those ones in for me, sir. Um, how far do you think it is, it's fair to characterise the current disclosure process as being determined by a fundamental disagreement on transparency by different groups and people inside the DOD and intelligence community in the US? 
well, I've been very clear on that. Uh, I've said that um, um, Mellon and Elizondo are not about uh, UOP uh, transparency for the general public. Uh, they are they are for uh, UAP transparency for uh, 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 hearings at Congress, and that they basically want to have an overarching uh, UFO platform, um, a UFO project that encompasses all the current uh, USAPs, so that America can get ahead of China uh, before. Uh, 2050. Uh, Dave also, also wants to know, does Frank think there has been a core US UAP management and research group in existence since the late 40s to present day? And if yes, why have they seemingly lost their grip? Uh, yes, I do think there was a program uh, between those dates that you mentioned. I don't know uh, why they might have lost their grip because I wasn't a part of that group. And he also wants to know, uh, taking it back to the UK a little bit more, it seems the MOD ran an active UAP unit through DI-55. Could Frank speculate how much reach a body like that might have had in the UK MOD and the military, and whether it had any links to the US Department of Energy via Aldermaston and related weapons development activity? Well, I can tell you uh, exactly what kind of links it had. Uh, it was actually of no importance whatsoever. Uh, DI-55 was basically like a, a bullshit program uh, that was set up uh, to advance um, some kind of like, you know, UOP discussion at secret level. Uh, I was working, I was flying in AWACS at the time. I worked in military intelligence and I can say that it was indisputable that there were uh, interceptions between, uh, you know, uh, uh, British craft and uh, British platforms and and anomalous platforms intending to uh, enter into uh, the British uh, air defence uh, identification zone. Thank you for that. And I'm sure Dave appreciates that answer. Um, question from Grant, and it's something we've touched on a little bit already, but I'll just ask you to elaborate once more. And it brings in the Australian side of things as well. And a quick shout out to Grant for his work contacting officials in Australia on the UFO UAP subject. Um, Australia, the UK and US are all Five Eyes partners and part of the AU, AUKUS Trilateral Security Alliance. Despite both Australia and the UK having a long history of investigating UAP UFO, neither country currently have any interest in the topic whatsoever. The Australian Department of Defence, under the leadership of the Minister for Defence and Deputy Prime Minister Richard Marles, has even gone as far to state there is no significant, uh, there is no scientific or other compelling reason to divert resource to the recording and investigation of UAP. Despite not being privy to any of the classified data within classified versions of ODNI's preliminary assessment on UAP. So, Frank, in your opinion, why are both the UK and Australia burying their heads in the sand on this topic? Uh, very easily because um, they follow the American example, okay? That's the, uh, the soft answer. And do you think essentially, and, and again to clear this up, we sort of talk, touched on this before, it's very much a subject that the US 
wants the control over anyway. And it seems that these other countries are, are happy to give them that. I know from my own service that um, I want to quote um, you know, the Condon report. It is indisputable that UOP exists. Okay. And uh, when I served on AWACS, it was, uh, you know, undoubtedly obvious to me that UAP exists and that uh, UAP have the ability to enter the UK air defense region uh, without, uh, you know, any kind of recourse that we can offer. Do I see that as a threat? Uh, yes, I do. Um, it's maybe maybe goes back to being a, like a paratrooper. It's like, um, uh, you know, you're trying to like, you know, enter my country, uh, like fuck you, uh, get out. Um, but, um, any two star British or American general would be, uh, highly concerned by the amount of, uh, of UOP activity over, you know, sensitive, uh, British, uh, military areas, including, you know, the, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, the, uh, you know the British uh, n nuclear base, right? Hmm. It's very interesting. And, and Frank, I want to finish on this one, and this was one you can give us your opinion on. Uh, from Jared, assuming governments have lots of information about the phenomenon, they would be best suited uh, to. They would be the best suited to provide information. However, they are reluctant to provide information to protect national secrets or avoid looking incompetent. If more information about this topic is the end goal, is it better for individuals to focus on governments giving it to us or private endeavours like the Galileo Project and others? Uh, best I'll include, I'll include get, SEU uh, in that as well. Yeah, best try and get uh, information out of the government if you can. But uh, hey, very good luck uh, because uh, you will never get anything out of the British government. And what about other governments? Uh, maybe the American government, uh, the Spanish government, certainly. Uh, you know, I go through uh, you know, Spanish military intelligence records. I, I would ask Frank as well on that. What is the, what's the chances that another government from less left field comes forward and takes the UFO conversation by the scruff of the neck and is the one to have that conversation on a kind of mass scale. We hear about San Marino trying to, to introduce this through Project Titan at the UN. Is there that opportunity or chance, do you think, that someone else does come out and have that conversation first? Uh, they might do, but uh, my information is that uh, America definitely has crash retrievals. I know for a fact uh, that Britain has crash retrievals. Uh, so... Uh, I don't see another country uh, gaining, uh, you know, that kind of traction. Frank, uh, have you got anything you are planning on you want to talk about with the audience? Are you talking any conferences coming up soon or anything in the near future you want to mention? Uh, no, I am uh, still working on my investigations of uh, directed use of directed energy weapons against uh, scientists uh, working in the, U the UAP field, and that is ongoing. And I have to say, uh, that has been reported to the highest levels of uh, 
the American, uh, you know, defense and intelligence establishment. In case anybody ever wants to have a pop at me. I'm sure there are people lining up to have a pop at you, Frank, but you usually bat them off very, very well. So uh, I'm sure you'll continue to do so. Um, listen, Frank, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. For anyone who doesn't follow Frank on socials, especially Twitter, it's a it's a wonderful conversation. Frank's got his own opinions and he's not scared to share them, as you've heard on this show as well. And it's always a pleasure to speak with you, Frank. Yeah, good night, Andy. Thank you, mate. That is all for this week's show. Thank you very much for listening. Please remember to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform. You can like, retweet and subscribe. That would all be very much appreciated. The shows are being uploaded onto YouTube as we speak more and more. You can sign up at patreon.com forward slash that UFO podcast to access the shows ad free as well. Please get in touch on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, that UFO podcast. Of course, on Twitter, it's at UFO, U-A-P-A-M. And again, folks, as always, keep looking up. You never know what you might see. Did you know that podcast advertising is way more effective than display advertising? With 67% of listeners remembering brands and 63% making a purchase after hearing them. Whether you want to diversify your ad spend, add a new marketing stream or test out podcast ads, Zencaster's creator network makes it easy for brands to connect with podcasters. Zencaster's mission is to make podcast advertisements as easy and accessible to business owners as Google or Facebook. Post-read ads like this are the most effective form of podcast advertising. Zencaster works with podcasters to help create unique to them ad spots that create brand awareness and conversion. Zencaster's creator network is the perfect place for you to get into podcast ads and sponsor your favourite creators like me. I've worked with Zencaster now for some time and they truly put the content creators and the listeners at the heart of what they do. As a huge fan of podcasts myself, and I really mean that, I love podcasts, I often buy products or services that I find useful to me based on those pods that I'm listening to. It supports them and there's usually a good discount to go along with it. So if you're interested in sponsoring this show or another podcast with adverts for your business, go to zen.ai forward slash that UFO pod one that's the number one, or click the link in the description and fill out the contact information so Zencaster can help you bring your business story to life.